I, I actually dream of Andrew and I um, throwing caution to the wind and becoming like a stand-up comedy tour. Um, I think we would become poor very fast, but it would be so much fun. Um, you know, before we dive into scripture, uh, you know, one of the things I'm trying, uh, I'm laughing because as I say, I'm trying to get better at it. I'm doing a terrible job um, at it, which is recognizing that certain things that are not a big deal for me um, actually feel more significant for others. And so, so for example, um, I didn't announce last week that I would be taking a prayer and study month in July because in the back of my mind, it's just like, oh, they're going to be happy. They get a break from me. I preach all the time. They get an opportunity to pre you know, hear from others. Uh, but over the years, I've gotten feedback that folks be like, oh, we actually really miss you. And, and so, so as to not surprise anyone, um, so you come next week and you don't see me. And then a week after that, and then you start wondering, man, is he all right? Um, so I emailed everyone on Friday letting you know that this is the last Sunday um, that I'll be preaching until I return in August. Um, July, we have an incredible lineup of folks from within our church and some outside that are going to continue to preach. And so you don't want to miss um, what's coming for us as a community uh, in the month of July. And honestly, for uh, these past several years that the, the trustees of our church have allowed me to take this time, it's been such a gift uh, on many levels. One, for me, I tend to, I, I'm prone toward being a workaholic. And so, and especially, I really love our church. I love ministry. I love what we do. So I don't, like, I can keep the switch on all the time, and it'll be a lot of fun, but I know it's not healthy. So that time off forcing me in that way has been really good. It's been a, a healthy corrective. Um, additionally, it's also been really good for our church because it's just a really strong yearly reminder for many weeks in a row that this church isn't built on me. Um, it's built on Jesus, first and foremost, and also that there are incredible leaders that uh, really form the heart of care and leadership over this church. And you get to experience them more fully during that month, and they get to step into more leadership. So everybody wins. And so I just wanted to thank you all as a church for allowing me to get this time. It's always been a really restorative, refreshing time. I come back with a lot more vigor and excitement to continue to lead and preach and do what God's called us to do as a church. Um, and so, uh, but I also miss you guys like crazy. It's, uh, I, yeah, I love our church so much um, that if you guys fired me, I'll show up next week and you just got to deal with that, you know, like... <laughs> Because I'm like, I'm not a member because I'm your pastor. I'm like kind of a member first because I love our church. I really do. And so I miss you guys. Pray for me. Pray for our family. Um, and I look forward to hearing all that God's going to do during July and coming back and seeing the great things uh, that have happened in August. And so we're going to go straight to scripture. We're going to pick up where we left off and continue our sermon series through the book of Romans we're going to begin in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 31. It says this, now, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, 
and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we know, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that we get to dive into your scriptures and we come to your word with expectant hearts. We want to hear from you. We want to learn from you. But Lord, we don't just want uh, mental accumulation of, of information. We need our eyes to be opened by you to see wondrous things in your law, as the, psalm, as the psalmist said. So meet us, we pray. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Help us to see him more vividly. We thank you, Father, for the incredible love that we find in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, I, I've said this for a few weeks now, but man, these verses really embody um, just how dense the book of Romans is. Um, it, just in a few verses, there's so much packed in here. Um, in fact, uh, the more I've talked to different pastor friends of mine about if they've ever preached through Romans, many of them have not. And what they tell me is they didn't preach through Romans because they were scared that once they got in, they'd never make it out of the book. You know, like, and so just so you know, we're going to spend some time in this book. We are going to take breaks um, and, and get into some other things from Scripture. But it's going to take us some time because there's so much in each verse. At this moment, if you've been trekking with where we've been thus far, you can recognize that a, a pivot is happening and a powerful, unbelievable turn is happening right now because we're hearing something very profound. We're hearing that the righteousness of God apart from the law is manifested. We're hearing this idea that God, his righteousness, apart from people trying to earn and behave and deserve it, that his righteousness has showed up apart from the law. How has it showed up apart from the law? It showed up in Jesus. And it showed up in such a way that it says, the righteousness of God, verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then it hits us with one of the most powerful, sweeping, unbelievable verses in all of Scripture. It says this, for there is no distinction, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, if you had read that verse 
without journeying through Romans the way we have, it would have meant something very powerful, very sweeping, but we would have lost some of the meaning. At this point, Paul is not just trying to make the argument that everyone has sinned, because whether you've read Romans or not, that's not that difficult to agree with. When we look out in the world, we see so much brokenness. Many people have argued that the doctrine of sin is the most empirically based doctrine you could see. There's so much evidence for it everywhere. But it's not trying to make the argument that everybody has sinned. It's trying to make, add to the argument that both religious, moral people and immoral people all have sinned and therefore all have fallen short of the glory of God. It's a really important thing to realize that when it says all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, it's including people like us. It's including people who are moral, who are religious, who try to do the right thing. It's especially including people like us because people like us, our mindset tends to be that we could somehow deserve, earn, work for, merit, find ourselves in God's good graces if we just try harder. And at this point, if you've been paying attention to what we've covered in Romans, at this point, we're arriving at a place to realize there's no advantage. We heard that before in Romans. There's no advantage. If you're a practicing Jew, if you're a a Gentile, a non-Jew, no one has an advantage. Why? Because all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Another way of thinking about this, if you've ever gone to a theme park as a kid, do you remember what it was like to be excited to get on a roller coaster, a ride, and then you came and it says, must be this tall to ride. And you were like several inches below that. I don't know if you, about you, but as a kid, I was like inwardly like trying to stretch. You know, it's like, come on, grow. You're like, is there anything? And, and you try to will yourself to grow, to meet the standard, but nothing you could do can get you there. And you're hoping that by next season, you're going to meet that standard. And if, you're, if you grow, as most people do, next year you'll be all right. Next year you'll proudly get to the line, and when they measure you, you'll meet the standard. What we're being told in scripture is that spiritually speaking, we never get to the point of meeting the standard. We're never tall enough to get on the ride. We will always fall short. And this is depressing and discouraging. And we fight and resist this if we're still in the mindset of, no, but if I try hard enough, I can get there. Maybe if I wear bigger shoes, if I really stretch, if I do this or do that, if I just try really hard enough, I will measure up. If you're still trying to measure up, this is really bad news. But if you actually have come to the place and say, I can't measure up, nothing I can do can satisfy this, it's actually an amazing relief. In some ways, it's God trying to say, stop trying. Trying harder isn't going to change anything. You fall short. Stop trying. 
we don't realize how unbelievably good it is to hear God telling us, stop trying. Stop trying to earn. Stop trying to deserve. Stop trying to merit. You fall short. Just accept that. Receive that. This is good news. And we're getting into even more good news in just a moment. This is the point where Romans begins to turn. We have been kind of almost been dragged through scripture the last couple of weeks and had to really process some difficult things about us. And at this point, we should be at the place where we're saying there's no advantage. None of us have any kind of rank above the other. We're all equally in need of God's grace. And now that God begins to describe his grace, we should all be at the place that says, yes, finally, I need what you're offering. But if we're honest, it takes us some time, some effort, some wrestling to actually get to the point of surrender, of saying, yes, I am ready to receive what you offer. Because in order to get there, we have to admit something that we resist admitting. We have to admit that we are insufficient. And even as I say that, in our modern culture, I feel like people will pick up their self-help books, you know, pump action and start shooting me self-help motivation quotes. What do you mean I'm insufficient? I could do this on my own. I don't want to accept this. Deep down inside, we're all trying to feel sufficient. We're trying to feel like we have what it takes. But deep down inside, we know that there is an imbalance. We know there's an insufficiency. We know that there's a negative balance, so to speak. We know we are spiritually overdrafting. And we're writing checks that we can't cover. Have you ever seen the HBO telling of the Bernie Madoff scandal? Robert De Niro plays it. It's absolutely horrifying to realize that this happened. Like this isn't like a fiction. This story actually happened. If you're not familiar with the story of Bernie Madoff, he managed to deceive his way into being at the, like essentially the top of the financial world. This man sat at the tables that created the laws that were intended to shield people from being um, you know, taken advantage of financially. Shielding banks from taking advantage of the common person. Shielding people from defrauding others. So you realize he's writing the laws. He's respected as a standard in the industry. And the whole time he's running one of the biggest Ponzi schemes of all time. Now, if you're not familiar with a Ponzi scheme, this is how it works. Let's just say I go to Donald and say, Donald, if you give me $10,000, I'm going to invest it, and I'm going to get you back 5%. He says, oh, that's a good, good return. Okay, here's $10,000, Chris. Unfortunately, I'm a liar. I defrauded Donald because I'm not an investor. And now Donald doesn't know that. But here's what I do, because I don't know how to invest and get his money back. What I'll do, I'll go to Nebs and say, hey, you got $10,000? If you give it to me, I'll give you 5%. He's like, oh, man, that's fantastic. I'm like, great. I take his 10000 I pay back Donald the interest. And now Donald's saying, man, this guy, Chris, is a financial wizard. 
this is fantastic. I invested with him. He got me the money. Guess what Donald's going to do? He's going to say, you know, Chris, I got 20,000 more for you. Here, take this. Invest it more. And because I'm an insane person running this Ponzi scheme, I said, sure, give me 20,000. I'll get you your interest. But now what do I have to do? In order to pay back Donald his 20,000, give him the interest on that, and pay back Nebs his 10,000, I got to go find four or five other people and basically do the same pay back the original people and keep trying to deceive more people to pay into the future so that I never get caught. It's the dumbest thing imaginable because even if it keeps working, you are endlessly going to have to keep deceiving people. There's never going to be a moment where you can stop and become legit and actually like pay people back their interests through practical, like, honest business means. This guy, Bernie Madoff, did that in the billions. He had entire pension funds from, like, the state of Michigan investing in his fund. And they got returns for over 10, he did this for over 10 years. Do you know how much lying you have to do to keep the lie going for 10 years? All because at the end of the day, there was never gonna be enough for him to fulfill what he promised could be fulfilled. As I watched this story, I was disgusted and awe. Can't believe this is our system, this is so broken. I'm like sad over people that have lost their entire life savings. It's like, it's just horrible. And it strikes me, spiritually, we're all kind of running a Ponzi scheme. Me, you, all of us. Ultimately, we don't have enough. And so what do we do? We try to say, if I could just do better in my career, or more relationships, or advance in this way, it could make up for the deficiency here. Spiritually, I'm not adding up. I don't meet the standard. But rather than admit that, I'll say, you know how I'll rectify this? By making these other parts of my life more beautiful, more sustainable. And somehow that's going to make the balance become even. We're insufficient. The scriptures are telling us that we're insufficient. And rather than admit that this is not just going to be something that a quick paint job is going to fix, this is a total gut renovation that we need we fight, we resist, we try to justify ourselves in the sight of God. And yet, right now, we're hearing that the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is being manifest. That we're hearing that God's rescue plan, and you got to hear this, you got to hear this, not just with your ears, but you got to hear this with your heart. God's rescue plan is this. In Jesus, he takes your broken resume and my broken resume and exchanges it for Jesus' resume. The good news of the gospel is that your insufficiency and my insufficiency, we no longer have to deny it and lie about it. We can be honest about it, but rather than sit in the despair and the hopelessness of that, it's not like God is just saying, admit that you're broken and that's it. No, he has a remedy. He has a rescue plan, and his rescue plan is exchange your brokenness for my son's righteousness. You get his resume. You can now rest 
and you don't have to prove and earn and try to deserve because it's been done for us. If you were looking for your moment to shout and to scream and to get an organ player and a choir to sing, that was it right there. God gave you his resume, his perfect credit score, his overflowing bank account, no overdrafting there. This is what we're being told is God's plan all along. And now in Jesus, we get to understand that this was God's plan to meet us in our insufficiency, to rescue us, that he was coming to do this in Jesus. If you notice in these verses, the word just, justification, um, righteousness, they're used quite a bit in these verses. They actually come from the same Greek root uh, in the original language. And it's an interesting word because it's actually like a forensic legal courtroom term when it says that God has justified us, that he is just and the justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus. And it means so much, this word justification, but unfortunately we have tended to reduce it to it's only like an, only the negative aspect of it. We tend to think when God says we'll be just, that he justifies us in Jesus, that it means that you and I, spiritually speaking, we were at a negative balance. We were spiritually overdrafting. He forgives us, and now he brings us up to zero. And so the debt is clear. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's amazing. But that's where we leave it at. But actually, it's so much more. I don't think you're ready for how much more it is. I really don't think so. Turn to the person next to you and say, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm ready to hear this. I don't think you're ready to hear how much more. You think you're ready. You're looking at me like you think you're ready. But I'm telling you, I don't think you're ready to know how much more justification means. It doesn't just mean that the debt is canceled and that the sin is forgiven, as glorious as that is. It means that you are fully restored. I have cousins and uncles that unfortunately have been in and out of jail. Many have been convicted of crimes. And one of the reasons why they're in and out of jails is because unfortunately when they were younger and they were convicted, they now carry a jail record with them. And no one will hire them. It's one of the reasons why there's so much recidivism. There's an actual ongoing return to jails because when people actually want to start brand new, they can't. They don't have the means to. Very limited jobs that would even hire you. We tend to think of forgiveness as you've been released from jail. And let me tell you, many of these family members, they're happy to get home. They're miserable. It's a terrible existence being in jail, but they just don't want to get home. They would love to be restored. They would love to have access to life again. Justification would be the equivalent of this. Imagine you were a lawyer. You say, oh, wow, that would make my mama proud. And so she always wanted me to be a lawyer. Um, imagine you were a lawyer and you climbed the ranks of your profession, but you also one moment did something highly illegal. 
and you got caught. And what you got caught for is absolutely condemned by the law. You're guilty. It wasn't like, you know, a shade of gray or subject to interpretation. It was wrong. And you're standing before the judge. And the judge, everyone is expecting the judge to condemn this lawyer. Especially as a judge. Like, you violated the very ethics that we all swore to protect. But rather than the judge condemn them, the judge doesn't just forgive them and pardon them. This is the shocker. The judge says, I also want to hire you to work with me in this court. I can feel the tension. You're like, but wait, didn't they break the law? Are they fit? Should they be given another chance in the very profession that they just violated? Wait, it's cool. All right, pardon them. Everybody deserves a second chance, but you're going beyond a second chance. You're actually going to restore them? Doesn't that feel irresponsible, kind of crazy? If you're feeling like that, you're kind of getting a sense of how insanely generous God's grace is toward us. That he doesn't just pardon us. He restores us fully. When we're justified, the balance doesn't just go from negative to zero. It goes way positive. Have you ever been around anyone that was trying to like vigorously pay down debt? Like school loans type of thing, credit card. But I mean like real vigorous. Because I've met people who's like, yeah, I'm trying to pay debt. It was like, man, you were in Ibiza last month. I don't know about that. You know, it's like you're, you're traveling all the time. You're not, you're not serious. You're, it, but I'm talking about the real serious people that's like they're not going on vacation. They're not doing anything. They just want to get their debt paid off. Those people are not fun to be around. I know firsthand for many years we were trying to get out of debt, and it was a real struggle. I was working a ministry job. Um, before I came here, uh, I mean, long journey. Uh, my wife wasn't working, so it was very difficult. I was not fun during those years because I couldn't do anything because I was committed for us to get out of debt. I remember the day we got out of debt. It didn't feel great. Here's why. Because I still couldn't have fun. Because, yes, the balance was zero. We weren't negative, but I didn't have anything to play with. I didn't, like, we weren't there. It was going to take some time. And I knew we weren't there because I was hanging out with a friend that just got a massive bonus. Right? Like, his job, he was in finance, got like a $100,000 bonus. And so I, know, I, I saw the difference, the relaxation in his shoulders when the menu came around. I was like, I have this, 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 this. I'm like... I have some flavored water? You know, like I, I was just trying. I, I didn't have anything to play with. If you're thinking of justification as just like God trying to bring your negative balance to zero, even when you get to zero, you're still stressed. You're still not having any fun because you're realizing just one more lie. You know, one, one moment of lust, one prideful moment, one misspoken word, ah, then I get negative. But when you realize God's not trying to just get you to zero with no debt, he's trying to bestow honor and grace and restore you. 
and invite you into spiritual abundance where you're not walking around scared like, I might go back to negative balance. You are so free. It's like God giving you the Amex black card. Go, spend it. Don't insult me thinking that there's very little here. There's abundance. Justification brings us to that place. It's not just your forgiveness. It's a full restoration of our place before God. One way that people have talked about understanding justification, kind of simplifying it, is this phrase, just as if I never sinned. That what Jesus has done for us when he is the justifier of those who put faith in him, that we enjoy this status as if we've never sinned. That's the restoration of honor and, and being a child of God, that we return home to such a degree that it's as if we've never sinned. Full citizenship, full rights, full privileges. That's what we receive. I have a friend of mine. Um, we're exactly 10 years apart. Uh, we grew up in the same church. And when he was a young man, his family was incredibly just really broken by so many different things. And so every Saturday, our church would pick up a couple hundred kids from the neighborhood and bring them to our church building. And we teach them songs and teach them about scripture and play games. Honestly, it was kind of sad in the sense that many families would just throw their kids at us. Not, they didn't even care. They didn't even bother to ask, are these people safe? Nothing. They were just like, here, take my kid, you know. And, and thankfully, we were safe. And we were just trying to teach these kids about Jesus. And this young man, he was one of five, five brothers. I remember that. Unfortunately, you would have never seen from the outside if any of this was getting through because by the time he was 16, 17, he found himself in a jail cell. He was arrested for selling drugs. He had just had his daughter who was trying to make ends meet in the only way that the streets taught him how. And in the jail cell, precisely, they call it the bullpen. It's where you're in before you see the judge. This is not a safe place. Not like this is a tense place. Many people... They make it out of the bullpen, bruised up, stabbed, you're fighting. It's not a great place. At that moment, he begins to sing out loud. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. You got to imagine, it's a jail cell filled with men that have been arrested, many for violent crimes, other things. They're all there, and he's singing this out loud. Because at that moment, everything he had heard all those years when he was a kid came back to memory. And he gave his life to Christ in that jail cell. He told me, he prayed, he said, no matter what the judge says tomorrow, I will serve you. I'm not going to run from you anymore. He gets before the judge and the judge says, I don't know why. You could check my record. I don't do this, but I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to close your file. This will not be on your record as a conviction. I'm going to give you a second chance if you promise to get your life right. 
And he said, I absolutely will. He went and did. He got his GED. He ends up in a mail room at Goldman Sachs. And from there, he kept climbing. So today, he's one of the vice presidents in Goldman Sachs over an entire department. Incredible story. But he told me there was this one moment where he was set for promotion. And he sits down, and they actually open up his file, and they say, you lied. You said you were never convicted of a crime. And they brought up that time that he was in the bullpen. And he boldly said, read the paper again. I was arrested, but the crimes were never charged. I was not convicted. The judge says, this could never be held against me. And at that moment, the interviewer closed it and said, congratulations, you got the promotion. What Jesus has done for us is just that. The crimes we've committed, the spiritual crimes, the sins that have been committed against us, he closes the book and says, it can't be held against you. So it's way more than just forgiveness. It's freedom from condemnation and shame. It's a full restoration into the family of God. It's powerful what has transpired. And one of the things that happens, this is so interesting, it's kind of counterintuitive, but the more you and I believe that the righteousness of God is ours by faith, weirdly, the more honest we become about our own sin. Yesterday, I took my sons to Top Golf. Have you ever been to that place? I need to warn you, the PGA should not be expecting the Hernandez clan to join the golf tours. Our swings were so busted, it was bad. I was feeling so bad as a father. I'm like, I failed them, this is bad. Um, but we're having fun, and um, except Michael, he was not having fun. Now, because uh, we were playing this Angry Birds game, and so you hit the golf ball and you try to hit like the buildings and try to hit you know, the Angry Bird game, whatever. And so I think I had like 100,000 points not that hard to get 100,000, don't be impressed. Um, Luke, I think, had like 65,000, and Michael had zero. My man swang the golf club like close to 40 times. Zero. So I'm just praying, man, Lord, help him to keep it together, because I'm just imagining he's going to like throw the golf club. I'm going to get arrested at Top Golf. Like, I'm just praying. And I'm trying to talk with him, like, hey, look, we're not. We need to get better. Like, don't feel bad. This is your first time, you know. And we're like, I can get you lessons. And he's like, he's just not hearing any of it. No. This is so frustrating. Why? So I'm just like letting it go. And then Luke doesn't realize that when he went up to hit the golf ball, it actually was still Michael's turn. So he inadvertently hits it, and it records 30,000 points for Michael. And now all of a sudden, Michael, I see his shoulders like go back. He gets a little confidence, like, wow, look at those scores. And I'm thinking, you have done nothing for your scores. <laughs> I'm not saying it. I'm just like, you've not earned this, my man. But I'm like, all right. And then this was what was amazing. Next words out of my mouth, I was like, well, maybe we should get some lessons. Just a moment ago, I said, let's get lessons. And he was not having it. The moment 
his status changed. All of a sudden, he was willing to admit he needed help. When you and I actually believe that the righteousness of Jesus is ours, that we have a record that we didn't earn, we didn't contribute, but it's ours, it should make us more honest to say, I'm also very broken. These are my sins. These are my struggles. And you know what helps you to be honest? Because you know, in that honesty, God isn't going to kick you out of his family. You know, in that honesty, he's not going to exclude fellowship. Because you realize, if we've been paying attention, your relationship and my relationship with God, thankfully, doesn't hinge on your righteousness or mine. It's dependent on Jesus' righteousness on our behalf. It's ours by faith. This is what he has done for us. And so strangely, believing in the gospel doesn't make you more lax about sin. It it makes you more honest about it. Because you know you're not excluded or included on the basis of your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. But look what else it says. And we're going to close in a moment. Verse 24, it says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we are told that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. What these verses are telling us, they're reminding us, Again and again and saying it in different ways, what we've been picking up all along, that all of this that we have been hearing about, that God justifying the sinner and justifying us through Jesus, it's all because of him. It isn't dependent on us. And that is incredibly good news Because it means your relationship with God and mine will never be dependent on the up and down swings of our obedience. Could you imagine if God was only loving us based on our obedience to him? It would be the most torturous relationship. Like, oh, I just obeyed. He loves me. I just disobeyed. He doesn't love me again. Let me earn his love. What it tells us is that God has done something really amazing. It says he put forth Jesus as the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, big theological word. What it really drives at is this idea of the wrath of God being fully satisfied through Jesus. I want want us to unpack this idea just for a moment. When you think of the cross, it gives us an image of all of God's displeasure towards sin displayed fully. Born by his son on our behalf 
And Jesus did that so that you and I would never experience God's displeasure. He experienced it on our behalf. It's because of him that we can experience grace and forgiveness and this full restoration. And why is that important? Because for most of us, our struggle is that we think it's because of us, not because of him. Here's one way that this works. If someone asks you, hey, are you a Christian? Most of us would say some form of, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to, I'm trying to live right, trying to honor God, trying to obey him. But if we're tracking with what Romans tells us, the more accurate response would be, he's justified me. I'm justified freely by his grace through faith. In other words, our response is not how we're trying. Our response is what he's done. So we recognize I'm a Christian not because of what I do, first and foremost. I can be a Christian because of what he's done. Have you ever seen courtroom proceedings? There's like primary evidence and then there's like secondary evidence. And so they're stacking the case. For us as followers of Jesus, our obedience is secondary evidence. If you want to know, are you a Christian? And if you point to your obedience first as the primary thing, we get it wrong. That's not the primary thing. The first thing we point to, are you a Christian? I'm justified freely because of what Jesus has done. And then they should be able to see obedience in our life that backs up that position of faith. You know what happens when we get it in reverse? We become miserable, self-righteous people. If you've never been around a self-righteous Christian, it might be because you're the self-righteous Christian. It's such an off-putting presence to be around when someone is giving off the vibe that somehow they have done the heavy lifting in their relationship with God, that they're somewhat better than you because they got this and this right. How do I know this? Because I used to be so self-righteous. When I remember some of the things that came out of my mouth when I was a young Christian, I'm so embarrassed. I boasted in my obedience. I was very proud of my discipline, of my sacrifice, of how much I prayed, of how much I read the Bible. Now going back, I realize, oh my gosh, I was building this big case and all the evidence was me, 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 me. Meanwhile, what scripture says is everything in our relationship with God is built on Jesus. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's why it says, where is boasting? Is it excluded? Yes. The gospel takes away every one of our desire, ability to boast. None of us can sit around and take credit for anything. Realize that's a relief if you've been trying to earn your place at God's table. But it's also very discouraging to hear, wait a second, I can't brag at all? 
if you still have something to prove to hear that it, it means absolutely nothing. It gives you no advantage. The only thing you and I could boast in is not how good we are, but how gracious God is. Say, are you a Christian? I'm justified. He's justified me freely by grace. What does that mean? He saved me. I believe it. I put my faith in it. That's all I have to offer you. If you want to know more, I'll tell you more, but that's the starting place. Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you don't do this? Yeah, there's some ethics involved, absolutely. There are some things called sin and obedience. These are great, important things. Let's, let's get clear. The starting place, the foundation is this. Jesus has rescued us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of this grace. And if you are in a place today, as the worship team comes forward, where you're recognizing that you still put more confidence in your obedience, that you still struggle to fully accept just how dire our need is for God to rescue us, that you can't save yourself, you can't rescue yourself, that there's nothing we could actually boast in because it's Jesus and Jesus alone that is our confidence, our salvation. He's the one that saves us. If that's you, God wants to trade that posture of earning and striving and deserving to receiving, to hearing him say, come back home. I'm not just trying to release your debt. I'm trying to bring you to full status, full citizenship, full rights and privileges. Could I invite us to stand? to you now in a posture of surrender of faith of receiving what you have freely offered Lord for those who are still racked with shame and guilt help us to see that justification isn't just releasing the debt it's a full restoration You, the judge, don't just release us. You employ us. You say, come work for me. Jesus, we're so grateful. If you feel like that legalism, that working, striving, deserving thing needs to break off of you, could I invite us, could we raise our hands? As we raise our hands in the presence of God, during this time of worship, begin to talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, help me to believe what you invite me to believe in, to receive. I don't want to keep earning, striving, trying to deserve what you freely give. Seek him now. Lean into his presence. 
At this time, the prayer team is in the back. If you need prayer for the words that were shared, anything you need prayer for, anything the message might have stirred, you can just slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer. If you're here today, you're not walking with Jesus, you've never crossed the line of faith, and you actually want to find out what it means to follow him, to believe this gospel, our prayer team would love to pray with you as well. Again, just slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer. Let's worship him. Let's turn to God.